Hey there, I'm Stacey Lindsay. I'm a journalist and a contributor to Scarlet Society. Today, I'm talking with Karen Eldad. Okay, I need to take a deep breath because I'm excited. Karen is that good. Known as Coach Karen by her clients, Karen is the founder of With Enthusiasm Coaching. She's a personal and executive coach working with world-class leaders, high-profile athletes, and media personalities, as well as major corporations. Some of Eldad's clients include Nike and Estee Lauder, her work and key research on the superstar paradox and the rebranding of the midlife crisis has been featured in media outlets across the board, including the Harvard Business Review, CNBC, and Forbes. Her recent TEDx talk, You Don't Know What You Don't Know, has been viewed over 250,000 times. Karen holds gold standard International Coaching Federation credentials, as well as an advanced academic degree from the London School of Economics, as well as the University of Jerusalem. Karen and I get into it, and by it, I mean the great midlife reawakening. Karen talks about redefining the midlife crisis and what it looks like to really claim midlife and beyond for yourself. We talk about the fears around midlife, the passing of time, what she's seeing as a coach, and then we discuss how we can turn this time of our lives into one that is deeply fulfilling and purpose-led. So here it is, my conversation with Karen Eldad. You're listening to the Scarlet Society Podcast, the show that encourages women over 40 to be excited, curious, and even turned on by starting the second half of their life. This is the show for support, community, and conversation about everything that goes along with this season, from sexual health and wellness to sexual exploration, finances, monogamy, and relationships. No topic is off limits. Let's dive in. Karen, it's so good to see you. It's always good to see you, but I'm, uh, I don't know, I'm blushing. Can you tell? I'm so happy. <laughs> Are you verklempt? I'm a little verklempt, yeah. A little verklempt. You know, and I was thinking about this. I was, I was reflecting when, before we started chatting today, I've had the privilege, the honor to see you speak now several times, online, in person. Every time I leave one of your talks, I feel closer to the sky. I feel empowered. I feel capable. I feel fully on the ground. And I'm just so thankful for that. And I know you've done that for copious amounts of people. So thank you. Just want to start off with saying thank you for the work that you do. It's incredible. Thank you for saying that, Stacey. You know, I always say that if just one person leaves any moment of interaction with me feeling a little bit more like themselves, a little more full of themselves, then I've done my job. And I hope that everybody listening to today's podcast is going to experience that. That's that's why I'm here. So I want to thank you for having me. And I want to thank Jade for launching yes. this incredible <laughs> new podcast. I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited about the premise. I can't wait. Yes. Thank you, Jade. And let's dive in because so much of your work focuses on rebranding, rebranding, particularly now the midlife and rebranding the midlife crisis too, particularly. Um, you help people sort of break through um, things that are blocking them. You help them pivot. You help them really lean into living lives that are filled with purpose. But I think the reason, I mean, there's many, many reasons, but one of the reasons why this really, your work resonates with me is because it's so personal to you. I know that this started for you when you were 35, you had a, you know, this empowered career, you were killing it. You were going, 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 but something wasn't right. So I was wondering, will you take us through the the story really of how you started, you know, getting into this meaningful work. Ah, the story of how I became enlightened. 
I'd love to share that story, but let's start with the obsession, the current obsession with the rebranding of midlife. You're right. Almost all coaching is about reframing, awaking you up to the possibility that what you're seeing is not the full truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And you can do better than this. And most of us resonate with that as a message in general, because we know deep down inside that we can be and do and have what we want in this lifetime. And that's what makes it so powerful as a premise. The rebranding of midlife began for me when I started to realize, oh my goodness, midlife crisis, it's a real thing. And it deserves way more than a snarky eye roll. The vast majority of society, A, speaks about the midlife crisis in gloomy terms. You read HBR articles about this, and you know I'm a huge Harvard Business Review junkie, or other publication uh, references to the midlife crisis. And first, it's very pronouncedly a crisis. And secondly, it is usually established as a depressed point of life, a point in which satisfaction for most of us hits a low, which will be recovered or not in the third act. But for now, kind of gloomy. That's the first thing I challenged because by the time I reached middle age, I was like, oh my goodness, this is the most exciting moment of my life. This is a second <laughs> act. And then I started to look for other things that confirmed this, and I found them. I found examples like Julia Child, whose book, Mastering the Art of French Cooking, is published when she is 49 and going through menopause and does not become a television star until she's 51. I thought about the great Jennifer Lopez, the one and only J-Lo, who at 53 is re-engaged to yet another sexy hunk, even if he is a flash from the past, right? And I thought about lots of others who were just magnificent examples of this. And that's when I thought the truth is, A, this isn't something you can roll your eyes at. It is a life stage that needs to be looked at. It's real. And number two, there's another way of looking at it that will allow you not only to sail through it, but to enjoy it and milk it for all it's worth. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm about right now. I didn't always think this way. Until the age of 35, maybe even 36, Stacey. I was a classic overachiever. I thought I had everything figured out, but the truth was my life was way, may I use a profanity? Please. Was way <laughs> shittier than it looked on Instagram. I was married to a tall man with no chest hair who spoke several languages and was successful in his career. I had my own C-suite executive position at a billion-dollar corporation. I wore fabulous clothes, almost always Prada, thank you very much, and expensive watches too. And I had many, many friends. I was like Ferris Bueller popular. But if you really looked behind that facade, you would see that I was racked with anxiety, that the relationship was, as a matter of fact, abusive. It was a very, very tough time in my life. That the truth is, if you looked at our bank accounts, we were broke as a joke. We were spending it all on the Prada to try to keep up with the Joneses and always worried about the other shoe dropping. And that the career was nice. It was really an interesting career. But was it waking me up eager for the day? No, not even close. That was the moment that I started to collapse the systems. I don't think I knew what I was doing quite yet. But at first, I basically torched everything to the ground. I went through a divorce. From the divorce, I quit my job because I wanted to come back home to New York City. I was living in Zurich, Switzerland. When I came back to New York, I didn't find it so hospitable. My industry, which was publishing, was in decline, so it was very hard to find a job. I had to start grappling with the reality that I was, in fact, broke and sleep on a friend's sofa for a very long time. 
And that's also when I started to ask myself questions like, maybe it's okay to read self-help books and they're not only for sad, <laughs> depressed people who don't have a life. Maybe I have some real problems here. This is when I start grappling with the truth and telling the truth, which is I don't have it all figured out. Doesn't matter what it looks like on Instagram. I feel terrible. And this looks like a road to nowhere. And so one by one, the self-help books start peppering my library. I know you can't see it, Stacy, but I mean, I have a very significant personal <laughs> development library. And I gave myself into a, prom a process that changed my life. It changed the way I thought. And the way I thought had such a profound impact on how I was showing up in the world that it completely changed my life. And now I do it for other people. You said so many things that I want to touch back on. One of which is you mentioned Instagram a couple of times. And I think that is worth visiting for a moment because we live, I think, according to these facades. And, you know, if, if I look good, if I present a certain way, then maybe everything is okay. And it's interesting because I know now as you've cracked open into this new portal and the work you do and the people that you work with, I mean, high profile athletes, CEOs, um, really driven, successful people. May I say they, they too have fears and maybe they too maybe grapple with some of these things. Um, we all do. It's a human thing, keeping up with the Joneses. So I want to touch on that really, Karen, is so people listening know that this isn't just maybe the one listener or two. This, this really is something that permeates humanity, right? These fears. No matter who you are, no matter which strata of society you're in, and I have the privilege not only of working with athletes and celebrities and big companies like Nike and Salesforce and SAP, no matter who you are, no matter how highfalutin you are, no matter where you come from, Jeddah to Sydney, because again, I, I work internationally, which was what I was trying to say, you have a societal structure that you need to live up to. You have been ingrained with conditioning of what looks like a good life and what isn't measuring up. Now, before, when I was a kid in the 80s, that was just my parents and my teachers and a couple of kids who had nicer bikes than me. But today we're being told what is a good life, what looks right, what is appropriate by strangers. My drug of choice is Instagram, but if yours is TikTok or Twitter, my God, good luck with that. That's probably exactly as bad. And so What happens when we start to buy into those facades is we really become less and less forgiving of ourselves. We start asking ourselves if something is wrong with us where we're not measuring up and also start getting this idea that some people are exempt from feeling this way. But you're right. Mm -hmm. There is no exception to the universe. You know, the statistics are the numbers, according to, again, HBR, are that about 70% of the population suffers from imposter syndrome. Well, I've coached more than 600 people personally by now. And guess what percentage does not suffer from imposter syndrome? <laughs> I guess it's very, very low. It's zero. I have yet it's to zero. meet them. Yes. I have yet to meet them. So we all have not only pain and sorrow, those are givens in life, but we all have anxiety about uh, irrelevance. We all fear that we are not measuring up. We all want to be good, to do good, and above all things, to look good. And until those premises are reframed radically by us, when we start to understand what we're playing for and what it's costing us, we're not going to make very much progress other than externally. So let's talk about where we start, because obviously starting is 
the hardest part, I imagine. And looking within and really discovering, I know so much of this has to do with self-exploration. It has to do with values. It has to do with really looking within. And one thing that you argue, which I think is so fascinating, is you say, really, there's two options. You know, we can go down this path or this path. We can live in denial, kind of acquiescing to this life of maybe toil or unhappiness, or we can live a life of, of awakening and determination to go down this path of fulfillment, um, determination, purpose, all of that. I love to use the word soar. Um, we can plow through or we can soar through. So let's start, you know, that's the, you know, so if people get the most service out of this conversation, where do we start really leaning into this, going down that path of soaring, of alignment, of purpose, reawakening? This is a million dollar question. It's also the hardest thing for people to do. It is not to go on the inner journey and it is not to hire the best coach on the planet. Although I can not recommend that enough. It is (laughs) to admit that there is a problem. Even people going through midlife. Wow. Do you know, I saw the other day a friend of mine posted, I understand that I'm middle-aged, but I don't feel middle-aged and I don't look middle-aged. So what is middle-aged anyway? And I was like, bitch, you're 48. You can say you don't look it and you don't feel it, but you are. Unless you expect to live to be 160. So it's okay. The first thing to acknowledge is that the reason we even say such things is usually because we are afraid. We are afraid that our mortality is real. That is what the midlife crisis is about. We are afraid of irrelevance. We are afraid of not being young anymore, which is something that in our society is still ingrained as better than. We are afraid of the loss of our luster. Those of us who are women, certainly faced with physical change of oldness, of looking your age, terrifying, which is why we insist so much that we don't look our age. When I'm like, JLo is 53. I don't mind looking her age. And so we succumb to these things instead of telling the truth, which is I am struggling. I am worried. I am concerned. This isn't all there is. I liken this to a situation in which many people find themselves in a situation that's very comfort zone right? The job is good enough, the marriage, I mean, nothing is overtly wrong with it, but it feels like a giant snooze. All of life feels like a big snooze, like there's nothing going on and I am missing my destiny and I just won't face it because it's good enough. So I might as well not say that there is a problem and not rock the boat, except the thing is there is. And there was a moment in my life that luckily was so traumatic that I couldn't lie about it anymore. I had to admit, I need help. I don't know what to do. I am not on the path that I'm supposed to be on. This is not the life I want. This doesn't feel good to me. But for many people, that'll be much harder to do because, I don't know, they're comfortable. Whatever it is, they're comfortable. The marriage, oh, it's okay. We haven't had sex in seven years, but he is there. And it doesn't matter that my job is soul-psyching and mind-numbingly boring, but it pays well. And at least I have a job. No. Why don't you start waking up to the possibility that life should feel fantastic to you? That's my main message. It should feel fantastic to you. If that's something that you question, that's something to admit as well. But from where I stand... It's better and better and better. And the better it gets, the better it gets. And it was the moment I started asking more of my life that I was willing to say, this is not enough for me. That is the first step anyone out there can take. Which takes a lot of guts. That is, 
It takes a lot of guts. That is so huge. I'm, I have goosebumps hearing this, though, because I want to ask a really tough question. I want to ask, you know, what if somebody feels that they're not worthy, though, Karen? What if they feel, I guess I'll repeat it, just not worthy of feeling this vibrance? And, and of course, I think that's probably intertwined with fear, of yes. course, um, because it does take a lot of guts. You can kind of have this fantasy, this vision in your head of, oh, gosh, you know, what it would feel like to be in a partnership that really helps, you know, makes you shine to be in a job that you really feel purpose led and to be in a situation, situations daily where you feel like this is where I'm meant to be. But then when it comes to reality, maybe people think they're not worthy. Most people don't. What do you say to that? Most people think they're not worthy. And even when they do think they're worthy, especially when they insist that they're worthy, they really don't. The, The principal fear. And again, this is why imposter syndrome is so ubiquitous. The universal rule is that most of us are terrified that we are powerless. We are running against time. We are running against money. We are powerless. We do not have as awesome power as we think we have or as we think we should have. We are limited. That is the feeling of unworthiness. And it's very easy to start to see because you'll come up with excuses almost immediately for why your life is good enough or why you can't have what you want. That's called neurotic imposture. Why even try? This is going to suck anyway. Now, don't worry about that. That's the stuff that coaching, that self-development, that self-help will help you come closer and closer to. God knows the work of Brene Brown alone, the work of Kristen Neff alone will begin to expand your psyche and your abilities around this. The first thing to do is just hear the yearning of the psyche and honor it. That's it. That's all you need to do. And until you can start to really muster up the strength to walk the walk to your worth, borrow my faith. That is what the coach is. The coach, like Virgil's Dante, Dante's Virgil, sorry, is a teacher who meets you just at the right time and goes, keep going. You're going to be okay. As long as you stick with me, you're not going to get lost. And then leaves you at the point where you're full enough to take the rest of the road alone. That's essentially what we're here for. If you can't borrow a coach's faith, then at the very least look out there for examples of people who did not know their worth and tried anyway and figured it out and got what they wanted as validation for your premise. I remember, you know, one of the things I was grappling with, so I I got divorced at 35 and uh, most people told me that I was more likely to be killed in a terrorist attack than ever marry again, let alone marry the kind of man I wanted to marry. And I always wanted to marry somebody wonderful, somebody kind, somebody as handsome as Ryan O'Neill in Love Story, the 1971 movie that I grew up watching again and again and again. (laughs) luckily I got coached within an inch of my life and remember having a thought why the hell not why why not and all I needed was an example like again JLo older than me figured it out managed to snag somebody fantastic even over the age of 40 I'll be okay and as you know I am married to the most perfect person who has ever lived Mr. Ryan Krogh who is the love of my life The point I'm trying to make is not, you know, boast about success is just to say all I needed first was a visual that it was possible, just a visual that it was possible. I'm going to go as far to say that this sort of understanding the finiteness of time, which I think comes with reaching a certain age, comes with midlife is a gift. And I think it can be kind of equated to other huge things in our life. And it makes me, I just turned 40 and yeah, I'm freaking scared. I'm like, 
holy shit, you know, this is happening. This is huge. Yes, 40 is young. Yes, 40 is middle age. 40 is 40. This is this is big time, big stuff, the gravitas. And, you know, I liken that. I had a really interesting conversation recently with David Kessler, who is a grief and loss expert. And I was talking to David about, um, I lost my father 14 years ago and still to this day, the grief is just as heavy as it was 14 years ago. And I've learned he's helped me realize that that grief is a gift because that grief means that I loved. So when it's still feeling heavy, you know, it means that I really, really loved and I, and I loved that. And I equate that to, in a, in a lot of ways, what we're talking about, because to feel this, to feel this finiteness of time, to kind of have some of this fear, it's awesome. It's a gift. It's an it, again to use your you know one of your favorite words. It's a it's a reawakening. Yes, uh, and I just I just love it. Well, let's talk <laughs> again, about that for a second. The thing is, you and I are not dead. We will die, but we're not dead. Yeah. The fact that we're here is a fluke of nature so enormous. I can't even cite the number to you. The probability that we are here. We have won an insane cosmic lottery. Any moment that we're given here is a random, finite fluke. It is a gift beyond comprehension. When you understand that, 40 don't look so bad. As a matter of fact, it looks like what it is, a second act. Not a third act, thank you very much. And don't worry, we're going to rock that too when we reach it in 20 years. But for now, this is where all the awesomeness is. This is where the potential for awakening resides. Midlife crisis to midlife awakening means you will have to question everything that got you to the peak of this mountain, where most likely, if you're listening, you are looking around going, really, is that all there is? And if you really want the next experience to be a slingshot into everything you've ever wanted, and I'm talking about joy, not money, joy fulfillment, purpose, relationships that feel like organic connections, community, the depths of your soul being unleashed, you will have to question everything that got you up the first mountain in the first place so that you can climb the second mountain, not only with greater ease, but with greater purpose, with greater deliberate creation that will set the stage for, I think, the most brilliant third act yet imagined by mankind. But for that to happen, we have to reframe. And just as you brilliantly managed to reframe grief, it is the price we pay for love. It is also a price that unfortunately we will all know in this lifetime, all of us, anyone who loves anything will lose. We must learn how to make friends with it rather than to make it a sword of Damocles upon our heads. The thing is, mortality can be really, really scary. It can also be the ultimate motivator. Because I know that I will die, I'm going to really enjoy this and milk it for everything it's worth. That's why I remind myself every day of what a huge lottery I've won to even exist. And when you start to understand that, it, it, you're not going to spend too much time lamenting the fact that you're 40 or 45 or anything like that. You're just going to get down to let's enjoy this. And that's what this reframe at its most basic is about. But again, it can be hard because if we've been living our life one way, if we've been living in this sort of complacency pool, um, getting by, kind of toiling, it's amazing to start to, down this path, but maybe it takes a little getting into shape, if you will. And I love that you use the word milk it. Uh, but Karen, can you coach us? 
kind of how, what does that look like? I know everyone's journey is unique. Every person is unique. This is so individualized. And I know you do such individualized work with your clients, but what are some universal tips, tactics for quote unquote milking this time of our life? Because again, it, it, it gets better. It can get better and it can continue to get better. It's so inspiring. How do we milk it? Well, I'm going to teach you my number one reframing tactic. And I want everybody to really enjoy this. You're right. You can make this very hard and decide to stay where you are. And if that's where you are, no problem. You like your neuroses. Have another helping. Be my guest. No problem. Stay in purgatory as long as you want. I'd never believed that it was my job to take anybody into paradise. But if you want to step into paradise, all you need to do is start questioning where you are to really admit that there is something going on and to start questioning all the premises of your life. And here's how you do it. You use something I call the pause principle. The pause principle is instead of reacting, moving straight to action, stop, pause for 17 seconds. Why 17 seconds? Because I made it up. And in those 17 seconds, I want you to ask yourself three questions. And this is in the moment in which a challenge occurs. Instead of moving to reactive action, pause and ask three questions. Question number one, is the problem the problem or is how I'm about to respond to it a bigger problem? If the way I'm beginning to respond is anger, uncollaborativeness, contempt. Number two, is there any other way to see this? And number three, is there an opportunity here? That's it. That's it. So let's use an example. Wow. I feel that I can never get ahead. I can't get ahead. I, I can't get ahead. I, I don't know why, but like I'm stuck. I am so stuck. Number one, is the problem the problem or is the way I'm thinking about it the problem? I guarantee you the way you are thinking about it, the fact that you're repeating that I'm stuck, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. A way bigger problem than the problem itself. What if instead you thought, Question two, what other way is there to see this? Well, there are at least five other ways to see this. Number one, you're not stuck. You're on the way somewhere. It's a good thing that you're questioning it. It's not comfortable to you. It's actually a very, very great thing. Number two, many superstars have once been in your physical shoes. We all know that should I stay or should I go analysis paralysis moment. Some of us decided to do something about it. You are actively deciding not to do something about it, which brings me to number three. You're actively keeping yourself stuck. Why are you keeping yourself stuck? I don't know, but you're actively keeping yourself stuck, which is great because that means you do actually have a choice in this matter. Number four, the people who did get unstuck managed to figure something out that is learnable. You can acquire the skill to move in that direction. Maybe not today, but over time. And number five, you want to get unstuck. That's a wonderful way to see it. The discomfort is actually pointing you in the direction of your dreams. Number three, the third question is, what's the opportunity here? Well, to take action on absolutely any of the five reframes I just offered, any of them. Even with a tiny thing like pick up a book called How to Get Unstuck. I, mean, I don't know if there is such a book, but who knows? Maybe <laughs> there is. Listen to a podcast called How to Get Unstuck and watch what happens from there. But the fact that you took that inspired action, that big stand for your life, that's already going to get you into the opposite direction. The pause principle is a reframing mindset tool, just like the work by Byron Katie, the four questions that Byron Katie asks. Is it true? Is it 100% true? Who am I being when I believe this to be true? Who would I be without the thought? Those are mindset reframes that we usually work through to get to the other side. The pause principle is my shortcut. 
And it works every time if you are willing to actually challenge your own thoughts. And I think that everybody listening to this, I know, I hear you, I see you, everybody listening to this, you are willing. And that's the beautiful thing. Just you saying the pause principle, every single thing that you were saying and walking me through to me, it's, I can do that. It's accessible. I'm worthy of that too. That's what I heard. It's that accessibility and that simple and just the initial act of pausing too. That's beautiful in and of itself. And your desire to change should be bigger than your desire to stay the same. Because to your point before, you're right. I do say all the time, you have two options here. One is to stay in purgatory, also known as denial, the seventh circle of hell, round and round and round. I'm making a little progress, I go back. I make a little progress, I go back. I And I never get ahead, right? If that's comfortable for you, enjoy. No problem. Again, we don't drag anybody here. But if you're getting the inkling that these two women might be onto something, then all you need to do is write this pause principle down and start practicing it in any moment of challenge. They're towing your car. You got a big tax bill. A friend has not called you back or texted you back. Watch what happens when you start to open your mind to the totality of possibilities that is available to you in any given situation, which will ultimately expand the totality of possibilities available for your life. And the totality of possibilities is incredible because what we're talking about, Karen, this is not just about careers. This is, again, life. You know, I've got, and so much of your work obviously focuses on these incredible careerists, but this is your love life, your sex life, your ho- whole entire life, your work life, your friendship life, all of it combined. This touches upon that. That's right. The song words, lyrics of Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive come to mind. Oh, no, not I. I will survive. You just have to start walking around here with a bucket of heck yeah and just decide that this is it. And when you really make that decision, you make that decision to, all right, I, I, I don't like what I'm seeing. This is not comfortable for me. I'm changing it. You're on the path. Enjoy. Go get them. See, this is why. This is why I love listening to you, talking with you, because I feel so freaking capable. I feel even more capable now than I did, you know, the half an hour when we started chatting. This is incredible. What are you talking you about? You've got superstardom flowing through your veins, Stacey <laughs> Lindsay. You are a magnificent creator. You're irrepressible. You're only getting you. started. You're a baby. You're a fetus. There's nothing that should disconnect <laughs> you from that. your worth ever. <laughs> ever. You, I love it. I want to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> But as we wrap up, Karen, um, I want to make sure everybody listening, we're going to have more info on you, obviously, at scarletsociety.com. We're going to lead them to your website. But you're working on something really, really, you're always working on something important. But the number 42, does that, does that resonate with you when I say yes, that? Yes, it does. Tell me what you're working on. <laughs> the number 42 is first the age of my husband, Ryan. So it's a perfect number and a multiple of the number seven, which is the biblical number of perfection. But 42 is a really important number and significant in my life for two reasons. The first is in Kabbalah or in Judaism, we believe that this is around the age where the second half of your soul descends into your body. It's this idea that until then we are seeking the rest of our soul. We're looking for approval in all the wrong places, but suddenly we are whole. We are finally full of ourselves. We know our worth and we can now walk the rest of the path as we intend to. So it's a really magical, very significant spiritually age. The second, of course, is that in the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, for all the super kind of Trekkie fans out there, it was a huge (laughs) bestseller. uh, 42 is 
a giant computer calculates the answer to the question, what is the secret to life? And 42 is the hilarious and cheeky answer. So I've always found that to be kind of an interesting number. And it's the title of my upcoming book, 42 for Midlife Crisis to Midlife Awakening, which comes out in the spring of 2023, inshallah. And uh, yeah, this is, this is sort of the culmination of all my work. Why did I apply it to midlife? Because that's where I am. That's why. <laughs> I can't freaking wait for that book. I'm so excited for it. But until then, Karen, thank you for this. Thank you for doing the work that you do. Thank you for lifting me up for, for all these years. Thank you for lifting so many others up. And uh, I'm going to be putting the pause principle into play ASAP. As soon as we wrap this conversation, I'm going to be employing that in my life. And I just feel, I feel really good. I feel really good. It's, it's just, it's going to get better. <laughs> it can't get better. It will get better. And for everybody listening, just know that midlife, it's a time to, to start, you know, getting down and partying, reawakening and yeah, realizing that you're worthy. And, uh, and if you feel down, you know, look to Karen's work. So incredible what she offers on her site. And we're going to have all of that info at scarletsociety.com. But Karen, coach Karen, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, buddy. Really inspiring. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, pal. I'll see you soon. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Isn't Karen amazing? You can learn more about Coach Karen and other trailblazers at scarletsociety.com. Scarlet Society is where women like you can explore information on sexual health, life pivots, wellness, and so much more. We'll see you again soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. Your support means so much to us, and I hope you got some great value from today's episode. If you're looking for resources from today's show, or you'd like to join other women just like you, looking to explore their sexual health and wellness, visit us over at scarletsociety.com.